0: So God began to work in my heart, do I love these people and do I really love them and want to see a new future for them? And God worked in my heart to begin to to picture that preferred future and call them to what God would have for us.
1: Welcome friends to another week of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. My name is Josh. I'm part of the team here at CCLN. And today I have the honor of introducing our guest because he was actually my pastor for most of my life. Keith Taylor sat down with Jason for this conversation in June, and it was actually the very week that he was wrapping up his 30 years of ministry as the lead pastor at Beulah Alliance Church in Edmonton. Not only that, but it was the ending of 42 years of formal pastoral ministry. In the conversation, Jason and Keith talk about what those decades of ministry looked like, what the lessons were along the way, the way that his first experience at a smaller church that was... Having challenges and dysfunction shaped and formed him as a leader. One of the things that Keith brought up that was so special was about how meaningful it was to do life with other pastors over the years. He shares about these gatherings that they'd have in Banff where they would pray for one another and learn from one another as pastors, and how meaningful it was to walk the journey of ministry with these other men and women. He also talks about what he's looking forward to as he has a vision and passion and excitement for the future, even though he's retiring from formal ministry. I know for me, this conversation was really special because Keith's commitment to Beulah for many decades was a gift in my life. I know for many people in Edmonton, Keith's teaching and his leadership has changed our walk with Jesus. Keith is a humble leader. Even though he's led multiple large churches, it doesn't come across that way. He's a sharp thinker, a strategic leader, and most of all, he's led by the Holy Spirit as a prayerful pastor. So today it's a true honor and joy to get to share this conversation with Keith Taylor.
2: Keith, it is so good to be with you. Pastor Keith Taylor, uh, this is a, a unique time in your ministry career. Uh, just before you mentioned you're in the final week. Can you just give us a window into, yeah, your life right now, this season of ministry in the midst of COVID? Yeah, what's happening in your world?
0: Well, it's amazing how some things overlap in timing. Uh, a number of years ago when I was uh, praying and, and ready seeking God's wisdom as to succession of finishing a ministry since that the time was around now about the point where I'd served the current church about 30 years. It's in its hundredth anniversary. I thought this is going to be a a, wow. a a right time to make that transition. We've put a succession plan in place, navigated that whole thing. And, and so I'm in the last week of, of, you might call it sort of the formal employment of full time and uh, finishing the end of, of, uh, of the month. And so I'm I'm winding up 30 years in my church, 42 years as a, as a uh, pastor, uh, 41 of those as a lead guy, and and uh, now I'm finishing. So I'm at the end of a run, but it's interesting that about the time I finish, the, the COVID reopening is happening.
2: <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect timing. Keith, can I honor you just quickly for 30 years of faithful ministry at one church? I mean, I just, I know that God calls people to different places. Um Being at one place for 30 years isn't the only way, but that's a rare story. It's a powerful gift to your people and the congregations, the churches that have come out of Beulah. I just want to honor you for that Um, and bless you so much. Can you take us back to your entry into ministry? I know that Beulah wasn't the first place and you served in, in Vernon as well, but tell us how you found yourself into ministry and then give us a flyover of your ministry journey.
0: I was probably a, a reluctant recruit, you know, sometimes people have this <laughs> aspiration that this is the direction they're gonna go. I, I had this growing sensitivity of the need for pastors and effective ministry, but did not see myself as one of those people. And as I prayed about it, Russell, it as a, as a young adult felt this stirring in my heart. And then, you know, you hear those messages that just resonate uh, within your heart that this this really matters. And I remember that mm. old statement, someone should do something about this. And and those things are, you know, burning in your heart and sensing that God is calling in a direction. So I kind of reluctantly moved toward ministry thinking, gee, could God be calling me? And and I think oftentimes people got, you know, the, the grand awakening, see the printing in the sky. I didn't get that. I just, I had this burning sense that this really mattered. And it was worth giving my life to. And mm. uh, I can think of that you have those little thoughts where you go, you know what, I wouldn't want to give my one and only life to that. But I think that this really matters. So I moved into pastoral ministry, circumstantially ended up in my first church uh, by pure divine circumstance. So I mentioned to a a friend, Mm -hmm. I said, uh, I'm thinking of moving into a church, I've done pastoral training, and he said, uh, where would you want to go? And I laughed and I said, well, hey, the first assignment usually is uh, in some, you know, a outlying place, like, you know, left elbow, Saskatchewan or something. And I said, I don't know, wherever it is. I said, but, you know, I, I visited Vernon, BC on holidays. I'd love, I really like that community. And a week later, a guy phoned me and said, I'm looking for a, a youth pastor. I said, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, Amazing. I'm calling from Vernon, BC. I said, now hang on a second. You know, I thought it was a prank call. Well, it turned out God was in it. <laughs> I just saw these little nudges along the way of God's leading, I ended up in Vernon, and uh, that was you know 42 years ago and, and began a trajectory and, and sensing the confirmation of God's call on my life really as I was walking with it.
2: him. It's amazing. Um, I've visited Vernon Alliance. I've been, is that the church? Is it Vernon yeah. Alliance Church? Yeah. And I've been really impacted by their ministry. I mean, they've been a resource hub. I remember when I was young in ministry, being part of a youth conference there. And it's fun thinking um, that church wasn't always as vibrant. It wasn't always... Um, able to live that way and when you found yourself at that church how many years ago are we talking about 40 years ago that you yeah. found yourself in that first assignment yeah
0: 42 years ago uh
2: yeah is it right that they were cycling through they had experienced a lot of kind of turnover with pastors and it, it wasn't necessarily the healthiest environment when you found yourself there
0: yeah i didn't know there was such a thing as in a healthy church so when i i showed up there uh great people but i discovered there was something off and you be and people started saying to me, I'm so sorry to hear that you're at Vernon <laughs> at, at that church. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? They said, well, don't you know about it? I I really didn't know. I was just a young guy. I mean, uh, just there to serve, available. But the yeah. uh, church had gone through, I think it was 12 pastors in 25 years. Average stay was less than 12 months. Previous, I think, three or four pastors had left ministry. Uh, and then within 12 months of my arriving, they released the lead pastor and I found myself mm. in, a, in a, a conflicted situation. They'd had, I would call it a split, um, uh, just a very, very, very unhealthy church. And uh, they asked me to, to provide leadership, not really with an option because I was the only staff and the church was about 200 people. And in the first 12 months, it grew from 200 to about 125. <laughs> so it wasn't laughable, but it was graphable. We were declining. If we stay on that trajectory, there wouldn't be a future. And, uh, and then God met us in a powerful way, uh, with some renewals, mm. uh, a reawakening of the church, reidentification of who we were and identity, just, uh, God met us in a powerful way. And then the church grew mm. for, for, I don't know, like the next 20 or 25 years, which is, it was evident wow. that we met God in a powerful way.
2: Hmm. I think amongst sort of my generation of pastors, there's, uh, and this, it's actually pretty recent, like a real awakening to church planting. And so there's a lot of, and it fits the bill. Like there's a need for church planting. Church planning is exciting, um, but also fits the personality of the millennial. Like don't box me in. I want to do my own thing. And uh, so I get it. Church planting's is amazing. It's important part of the fabric of Canada, but there's something in our national conversation that needs to grow about revitalization and what it looks like for a young minister it's a different skill set. Some of them are the same, but there's a different skill set that says, I'm going to patiently um, unearth the DNA of this church. I'm going to woo the people here. I'm going to have the tough conversations. I'm going to take those risks. Any principles or advice or just reflections about what it means to do church revitalization? I don't know if that's what you would call the work you did there, but that work of revitalization, that work coming alongside something that has history and probably some, some good in the history, but also maybe some, some challenges or things that can be toxic, Any any thoughts or reflections for ministers going into situations like that?
0: Uh, I think there's an, a dynamic that is the intangible of the Spirit's work in the heart of people. And we did a lot of prayer, really seeking, a, I just use that expression, for awakening. I mean, there's there's mm. that, that inner work that needs to happen within the congregation. So we pray hard. The second thing is, I just call it love people deeply. Remember, when I was aware of some of the... Just toxic patterns that had happened. I had a lay leader walk up to me after service and we were chatting. And he said, I feel like when you're speaking, you're just mad at us. <laughs> and uh, and I kind of stepped back and I thought, yeah, I kind of am. And he said, you know, I'm not really sure that that's going to help. Um, is, is your anger? He says, I, I really think you need to really deal with your anger. So God began to work in my heart. Do I love these people? Wow. And do I really love them and want to see a new future for them? And God worked in my mm. heart to begin to, to picture that preferred future and call them to what God would have for us. So I say when for a person coming into a situation that's toxic or unhealthy, needs revitalization, is is, is pray, recruit those prayer warriors or that inner work, you know, the mm-hmm. this spiritual dynamic. And then love deeply, listen intently, and begin to, as mm-hmm. you said, on, unearth that inner that inner story or the brokenness within that congregation to begin to move it toward a new future, a preferred future, God's future for that church.
2: Hmm. I heard Dallas Willard, or maybe it was Alan Hirsch we had on the podcast yeah. quoting Willard, but I, I think it's a, a Dallas Willard thing. He talks about this idea of part of pioneering works into the future is actually going back to the, the roots of the movement and finding some of the initial values and vision you know, like going back to the beginning of the movement, because we're in a moment where denominations are mostly plateauing, or in many cases, decreasing. Uh, Bible colleges, uh, nonprofits, like we're in a unique time. I think part of that means there's an opportunity for new things to emerge. That's part of how God turns the soil. But there's also this need for, yeah, like rediscovering those ancient roots and that that the innovation, because we're talking a lot about innovation, some of the innovation is actually found in going back to the initial roots. And I just wonder if that's been your experience at all. You've been in churches that have a history, what it means to kind of find that DNA and initial calling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in my Vernon situation, some of the founding members were still part of the church and and getting them to tell their stories of what the dream was they had for the church really mm. helped us towards a reawakening. I think in, uh, Vernon or in Evanston, uh, Buell is a hundred year old church. And, uh, and, and we did some deep mining of the early story of the church and discovered it was saturated in mission. Hmm. Uh, the founding pastor came with a, with a calling, not simply to shepherd a congregation. He came with a vision to reach all of Western Canada for Christ in 1923. And, uh, and that, that shifted everything they did, all their initiatives. We could call our congregation back to that founding dream. Some churches actually, when they go back to that founding day, they may find something that wasn't healthy or thriving.
2: Hmm. And
0: perhaps it's time then to, to, to cast, like what do you call it? Put down a new stone of remembrance to say, mm-hmm. as of this day, we're gonna, we're gonna shape a new vision for the future. So not every church has a great starting story but when when you do go back to what was it that was part of the, the genesis and that beginning.
2: Hmm. And then tell us about the story of of Beulah. So, um, both your story with Beulah, but also Beulah's history. I mean. It's a very important church, in my opinion, in the fabric of the church in Canada. It's got decades of history. It's been ascending and planting church. It's a church that's such a blessing. But yeah, tell us a bit about Beulah's story and then how when your story kind of intertwined with their story.
0: In the early 1920s or so, or even before that, there was a, a group of people coming to Edmonton. Edmonton was exploding with growth. Uh, people were coming from all across Canada, pioneers, loggers, uh, farmers. It, it was a place of... of I think Edmonton grew from a few thousand to like sixty thousand in twenty-five years. So rapid growth. With that came pre-World War One, a lot of toxic, a lot of just brokenness and culture. There was no safety net. A mission started up in Edmonton mm-hmm. by some some uh, passionate Christ followers who saw the need. They got that mission going. Then they decided that they would call a pastor to shepherd a little group of people who are who were just serving the 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 unfortunate. They uh, like even unmarried mothers, they had a, a home for unmarried mothers, which was really gracious mm. back at that time. They started a church called this guy named John Woodery, came in, and he said, uh, "We need to present Jesus to Western Canada." Within a couple of years, he started a training school for for pastors, and uh,
2: wow.
0: and because he said we need to have a, he didn't call the leadership pipeline. He just said we, we're going to need pastors, so they started training their own. Yeah, then then they started sending them out by horseback. Um, on mission and they would go and visit all the farms on horseback. They sent them out by dog team and uh, kind of dog sled and going out and doing that kind of stuff. Then they, then they, they, uh, they bought an old Model T Ford. They put, they had a a tent that went with it. They had a platform and these, these uh, pastoral trainers would, would teach off the old Model T Ford and they would do Hmm. tent meetings. There's something like 60 churches that trace their beginnings back to to Beulah Hmm. and Beulah mission that was active across rural Alberta then they got the idea they should have a radio station. So they didn't just get airtime; they bought the equipment. And we we're thinking online for COVID is a new thing. In the 1930s, yeah. they went online with the first radio station in Edmonton, hmm. and uh, shared a, air, shared time airtime with somebody else. They uh, they broadcast Sunday night services, and they used contemporary music that's accessible to people where they were. And they were sending out uh, uh, services to literally. You know, uh, thousands of people across Alberta were tuning into the services that and they used um, they used contemporary music, which I thought was so interesting for the time in the 1930s. And so you had a church that was incredibly missional and creative. Uh, Hmm. And uh, they were doing secret services before, you know, anybody thought of it. (laughs) And it was like, (laughs) what an amazing start Uh, in the 1930s. uh, My grandmother started watching that. And got involved with the church. began to attend. She got saved at Beulah. My dad went wow. to work, came back in the 1950s, was transferred back to Edmonton, and uh, decided to take his family to Beulah. My dad, in the mid 50s, became a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So I actually ended up in the nursery at Beulah as a kid. Grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. In a, as a teenager, I got I came to Christ and in, and in, trusted uh, Him through the impact of the church. So. I left when I was about 19 to kind of make my way in the world, thinking that Beulah had impacted my life and uh, never believing that God would have to call me back to be pastor about uh, 18 years later. So if you think about it, my grandmother, my dad, me, my kids, my grandkids, I got like five generations in one church. And I I don't know that, that statistically that doesn't happen very often, but I would say my family would be fruit of the mission of the church In terms of reaching people for christ
2: that's beautiful and and then when did your story as a minister like so you're in vernon was your next assignment back in edmonton what was the transition there
0: yeah after uh having served as lead pastor for 10 years in vernon the church had had really seen as i said renewal we i was i was trusting god for how we could be uh on mission for jesus uh and and be a thriving congregation and the lord just met us in great ways but the church grew for those 10 years And uh, we had built building, a couple of building projects and the congregation, you know, multiple services. We were doing a lot of missional uh, intervention and starting recovery ministries, just really ministering to the community. And God began to stir me that you're not going to be here forever. And I didn't know what that was about. I was like, what do you mean? I love it here. (laughs) Church is thriving. And uh, I felt like the spirit was saying to me, I got something else for you. And I didn't know what. Hmm. And then Bula called and said, hey, would you? consider coming to Edmonton. We just built a building and we really need a pastor. Would you come back? I said, you guys knew me growing up. Of course not. I'm not coming back (laughs) because it makes no sense. What do they say? The prophet's not welcome in his own country. I can't go back to my home church. And God was stirring and and just so many things were happening that were showing me that maybe God was in this. So I said, I'll go candidate. I'll I'll go and visit the church. I went and visited. I preached on a weekend. I thought, there's no way they're going to have me back because my predecessor was 62. I was 36. It's way too big a change. There's still people in the congregation that knew me growing up. They're going to say, that's that, that's that, that like thinking of Jesus. You know, they say, isn't that, isn't that Joseph's son? You know, isn't that so and so's son? It's not going to happen. I got a unanimous call. we well, you come? And I went, oh my goodness. But what was most important is God was impressing me to go back to the city that I had come from and reach my generation for Christ. And it was an unmistakable call to go back. So at, at 36, I came back to my home church and uh, to, to take on the role of, of lead pastor following a guy who was twice my age. Okay. Hmm. So that's how wow. I ended up back in, in Evanston.
2: And I have like a kind of an unfair question. I'm going to ask you to summarize decades of work at Beulah. Give us some of the, like and take your time. I think it's a lot unfair because uh, one year of ministry has so many dynamics, but there's some exciting things. There's church planning, there's multi-site, there's uh, engagement and evangelism. Tell, tell me some of the things as you reflect back on your time leading Beulah, the stuff that, yeah, give us a bit of the high-level topography of the journey.
0: Oh my goodness, 30, 30 years. You think about that, that's 300 work meetings and 1,500 <laughs> weekends. I guess it's a lot of time. Um, uh, <laughs> I think that that my predecessor had really set the table for me to come in a new building in, a, in an area that had great need. Uh, we began to, to uh, rewrite some ministry strategies, but one of the key things is going back to the founding of Beulah, it's, it's DNA. If you cut, what does Beulah bleed? It was evangelism and, and full devotion to Jesus. So we said, what are we gonna do on mission? And so it's really been 30 years of excitement of, of the ways in which God has been able to allow us to be on mission. And uh, mm. so we started off. We did we did the, those kind of big Christmas musical dramatical things that churches did, for an example. And for ten years, we'd have five to eight thousand people show up, and they bring their friends on their arm. And we had all kinds of people begin a spiritual journey because of ways in which we were inviting people to come and experience a story and experience the the gospel in the context mm. of relationship. And uh, so for about ten years that, then we felt like that, that time had come that we would stop it. Uh, we uh used alpha as a way of reaching into our community. But the congregation began to grow and uh and I think as we were really seeking need minis- need meeting ministries uh we were intergenerational church but beginning to move to the younger generation to see how can we reach them but still honor the 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 uh the uh, the former generations that they could be an anchor and encouragement and prayer support mm. in that. So we went through these changes as a church: changes in worship, changes in in style. We went from on-site ministry, a small group evolution to to lay leaders providing leadership in small groups. That's a huge transition for an established church. Mm. And uh, and so within about the first ten years, the church had had probably doubled and a half, maybe uh, in terms of growth, added more services. Uh. We um, we did about four or five building projects. We were looking for ways to serve globally, did uh, initiatives all over the world, to uh, just make Jesus famous in other places. Uh, how to reach mm-hmm. into our city with care and compassion through uh, local agencies, creative evangelistic ideas. You know, we would do a thing like you know four weeks of apologetics and bring in the very best apologists and get like mm-hmm. a thousand people out. You know four weeks in a row, so a four week run to answer the deep questions you have of what, what is faith all about? And people were just um, so hungry to learn. So it was a wonderful pastoral team of innovators and creators. And uh, Mm. so it's moving the church deep and, but also being very intentional to say, how can we make Jesus famous? How can we reach out? And then we just did a crazy number of Alphas and, and, and so much fun. Alpha, my favorite was Alpha in a tattoo parlor, you know, it's a captive Come audience, on. you know, Alpha in a casino, Alpha in, in a pub, Alpha in a, in a Thai restaurant doing a buffet, but Alpha in a senior's home over a coffee in a Starbucks. They're just people being empowered to share this Jesus story with the people who are around them. And uh, one of the things about new life when you're on mission, um, what do they say, the exciting place in a hospital is the is the uh, maternity unit when you see the little babies. And I go, it's an exciting place in a church is to see new, fresh, freshly redeemed lives, people walking with Jesus, and that brings life to the church. Mm. So um, mm. then, then in about uh, 2020, we had a we decided rather than build more, we would go multiply out to reach our city, and uh, we called it uh, to go beyond the walls. Um, and, and so we raised, I don't know, a couple million dollars that would be for ministry initiative. In a matter of a few years, we did a, a church plant um, in Edmonton. We did a multi-site. We did a, a partnership with a Hispanic congregation, a partnership with an Arabic congregation. We did a church plant in uh, in Hanoi, um, Vietnam, because we wanted to do something over there, like hmm. beyond our city and beyond our country. We partnered in... I gave, whole bunch of other initiatives. But the exciting thing was to see um, to see the, the church to be outward focused. We watched you know, mm. a few hundred people uh, head out into another round of uh, church planting and church multiplication. And uh, we were really excited about multi-site that we could have those, uh, we call place vibrant communities up close to people's neighbors <laughs> and uh, mm. began to move down that road. And uh, with every initiative, there's challenges. Some things work, and some things don't. And you put things back in the box and try something else. But the exciting thing was to see how God has blessed it. And uh, and so that's that's in a nutshell some of the things that have taken place over the last 30 years.
2: I love hearing about it. It's it's so inspiring. And I I knew this about Beulah. I knew this about you. But there's something about the commitment to keep mission. Um, the willingness to try something new, to stretch beyond yourself. It's almost at like the moment you start getting fully insular, you know, something dies within the life of the church. And I just admire so much about your ministry and um, the ministry of Beulah to keep thinking, how can we try to reach out? How do we kind of reach out? I want to pivot to kind of just chat about your own journey as a minister, um, being in one spot for 30 years. How do, how do you keep your own heart tender to the Lord and, tender to the people. I mean, there's just something about um, being in ministry that can feel like it kind of sucks you dry sometimes. And just wonder, as you reflect back on, yeah, how did you keep that heart tender?
0: I think, actually, quite intentionally, a number of things. So I'll, I'll share I'll share them. Uh, obviously, it's my personal time in, in, with the Lord. And, and what does that look like? And every pastor has that routine, whether it's a, a day retreat, whether it's you know that morning time that that um, I call the Nehemiah's midnight ride, where he just goes and he's thinking about things. But you can tell he's really kind of going, God, what do I do? You know. Um, but you need that personal time. The Second one would be is is uh, being a lifelong learner, feeding the soul, and uh, and making sure that there's just a steady diet of of uh, those things that are going to be enriching. And uh, the, the third one is the people you're you're circling around i had I had uh trusted elders that I built great relationship with that I could be very open and transparent with and I tell pastors you know love on your elders and and uh and and really create a culture of openness and trust and and mm-hmm. i if ever there's an elder, listen to this it's so important to your pastor that you have those open trustworthy transparent relationship. It kept my heart uh replenished because I had those Those um, sheltering tree friendships and encouragement Hmm. leaders. I I purposely uh, circled around with some other pastors that I did life with. Hmm. And uh, someone asked me about as you end this season, what's what's the harder things to do? I said it's interesting. I think of Paul's expression in Ephesians where he says that uh, there was, you know, that said they held each other. They wept as he said goodbye to the the elders that. There was this kind of a band of brothers kind of thing. Uh, I've I've been with some pastoral groups that I've been able to journey with over the years where we could the iron sharpens iron have transparent, open relationship with that lifted my heart, and mm-hmm. uh, and so I really value that. That was hard to say. Hey, we're I'm not going to be maybe in those settings as I once was. I thought I really valued those. Those things were helpful for me, and uh, and then just also. Placing myself in those situations, whether it's podcasts, uh, teachers, uh, what are the things that are going to be feeding my soul? So to stay, mm. to stay vital over 30 years, um, I think it was really important to stay intentional about that.
2: Mm. Um, if I understand this right, maybe it was early in your time in Beulah, there was a group of pastors, you went, went away to Banff together. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I, I just believe that who we do ministry with, like, I hear sometimes pastors say like, Oh, I need my friends to be people not in ministry. And I think there's a good, there's a good for evangelism, but also for life, like that balance. But there's something about brothers and sisters who are also experiencing some of the same things, to you in different contexts and journeying together. Can you give me a little window into that?
0: When, uh... I noticed that that in my tribe in the Alliance there were a number of large churches across Canada and and often what you find with churches is we have a lot more in common where people where churches are at in the life cycle and size than we might even mm-hmm. have in terms of our tribe and uh, but I, I noticed there were guys that I would kind of reach out to and I would say I'm kind of doing this alone I' kind of do this alone so I, I cast vision to one of our denominational guys that could we pull together, a group of pastors that were of similar situations of churches. And what we would do is we just invite them to come, great location, we said, let's go to Banff. We got a, it's off season, so it's not busy in the ministry season. When I say off season, not for Banff, for us, you know, as pastors, and we said, I said, hey, would you come together for two days? And uh, we could just, um, we'll do a self-selected agenda um, and, uh, and I'll guide the conversation. And so we pulled together, I think it was about 20 guys we invited or 18. And everybody said yes. Everyone mm-hmm. came for a forum kind of setting, and this is back, oh gosh, probably 30 plus years ago. But we got them together in that setting, and, uh, and we mm-hmm. did a self select agenda. We I prepared guys to do a 10-minute, you know, launch on the topic, and then we just did discussion. But there were some some ground rules. There'll be no 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 just thumping. <laughs> this is not a a brag and gag session this is to be you know we'll celebrate the wins but let's just talk openly but what the cool thing was is at the end of the two days deep friendships formed guys were saying Hmm. you get me you're walking where i'm walking how did you handle this how'd you handle that and there's some guys who said hey i'm new to your tribe i've never been like i i came to a church but i've never been a part of of uh, your denomination before um and and we had a fantastic two days and, and a number of groups spawned out of that in deep relationship. But it was so great to watch the chemistry of like-minded pastors, like-minded mm. leaders, um, you know, really connecting. And, and of course that's developed over time and happens in different settings, but it is so important to have some like-minded brothers mm. and sisters around you.
2: I love that. Uh, I should say as an aside for anyone listening, if you don't have a couple other people you're journeying with and wrestling with the questions, and uh, go for it. Just start it. You know, don't you? Don't need permission. You can just call one or two other people and say, "Hey, could we get together?" I, over uh, the pandemic, I just uh, called up a couple pastors across Canada that were different enough that there was something to learn, and but similar enough that there was enough in common. You know what I mean? We're going after the same thing. And I think it was once a month on Zoom on Friday mornings. And it was such a rich time. And the depth of friendship that grew in such a short amount of time really surprised me. You know, I really feel like these are people I'll journey with for a long time. And uh, so I just, that's, that's the side note for anyone listening. Like, you don't need to wait for permission. There's a need for it. If you feel that need, there's probably a couple others. And so go after it.
0: Well, and you know, in that meeting, and I forget the exact date when it would happen, but we're talking decades later some of those people are still my friends to this day that, that I met hmm. at that event, and we've journeyed uh, for all these years. And I I just go, man that that's a that's one of the great blessings. And I think pastoral work is when you build those kinds of friendships that you do like for the long haul.
2: Hmm. Keith, can we chat a little bit about um, succession? And I wonder when did you start? thinking about succession, and then maybe walk us through the journey, and I know recently you've passed the baton to Daniel M., who's been on the podcast as well, and I think as we're recording, you're in your final week, technically, so just talk us through the story.
0: Um, back in 2000, I, I did a one-year sabbatical, and I went and did doctoral studies down in the States, which is very generous of my church to release me for a year, and uh, when I was down there, I visited a church, uh, one, of the, one of the larger churches in America, where uh, Bob Russell was the lead pastor. And Bob was talking about the fact that he was going to be stepping away and uh, doing succession. And I thought, what? He's, he's a thriving, healthy guy that's one of the largest churches in America, and he's talking about making a change. And that got me thinking as he talked about pastors have a beginning and an ending. And, uh, and so I went away from there thinking, hmm. I wonder, it, you know how it begins to stir in your mind that I need to be thinking about endings. So that was where God introduced to me this idea of being intentional about endings, mm. and so I was in open conversation with the board about what I serve. Uh, you know, past fifty-five, past sixty, uh, we do an annual review of how's it going, and and uh, you know, do they feel I'm in, and do I feel I'm in, and 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 we just had very transparent conversations, and and as we talked and prayed, I I had a growing sense that when the church was having its 100th anniversary uh, this year, and I had my 30th anniversary that that would be a great time to start with a new leader of a new generation mm. to build on the next 100 years. And I really felt at peace with the Lord on that, that that was what God was, was leading me to. So uh, five years ago, six years ago, we began to talk about succession. Um, first from an emergency side, what happens if I get hit by the proverbial bus or you know, the actuarials you know, unhealthy or something like that, what would the church do? But then on a more serious note, what would we do in an intentional way of passing the baton? And then about, mm. uh, about three or four years ago, we, we, be, we struck a committee and really began to move down that road and do intentional planning mm. and strategizing. And, uh, and what we ended up doing was, uh, our, in our context, the Board of Elders uh, uh, are the ones who hire a lead pastor or select a lead pastor, discern that, that role. So I worked closely with them, and, uh, and we began a process and of discernment, and, and it, it's been an amazing journey.
2: Hmm. And when did Dan come into the picture? Like, when did he become a candidate? And what was, what's the journey between the two of you? Because you've had a season of both being on staff together. And I'd love just to know, like, because this is something happening more and more, like, what, what can you share from learnings from that journey together?
0: Um, one of the things that, that we, we did as a, uh, as a board and as a church is we did a thorough evaluation and analysis of that 30-year story of the highs and the lows and the twists and turns. But we even went back beyond that then to the founding of what's the Beulah story and what's the DNA. Mm-hmm. And our Board of Elders really did some careful work about where have we been, who's God calling us to be, what do we see in the future? And, uh, and we use an outside uh, resource to help us with that so we could really wrestle with what's God saying? Are we looking for vision 2.0 or just a tweak of the vision is it what you know what is God calling us to that was important groundwork and very transparent we interviewed staff and and other pastoral staff and so we were we were open and transparent that we were doing this journey and doing the work and then we began to delimit to the kind of candidate we were looking for and one of the things was we said is it possible to find I call it the sons of the house so somebody or a dog or mm-hmm. somebody who who may know our ministry and so we looked at some people who had been on our staff and past. and one of the things about a, a multi-staff churches we're, we're Lord willing developing leaders. And uh, and so looking and saying, does someone know our story and, and is connected to us? And, and that began us down that journey of, of the candidating route, looking at candidates. And uh, out of that, Daniel had been with us for five years and uh, on our uh, pastoral team had gone down to uh, work with Lifeway in Nashville uh, Tennessee for for a few years, and uh, was involved in doing national ministry and and uh, providentially I, I shoulder tapped Daniel and said, "What would you think? Would you possibly come back to Edmonton?" And uh, and he he goes, "This is crazy because God had been stirring in his heart that kind of like my story that there's something more, there's something new. Hmm. You're in a good place, but God's calling you to something else." And then we began to to work and go down that journey. Our board of elders gave him a call to come as uh, you, you know, hire a parent as the as the successor, and then he joined our pastoral team. and uh, And I would also add that in our context, um, I, I invited our pastoral staff to be part of that. They've given their lives to be mm. part of our ministry, so they are part of interviewing. They are part of the discussions, cool. and uh, and I really think that that was helpful for them as they're thinking uh, and experiencing them. The, the lead they've worked with uh, no longer being at the helm, it allowed Daniel when he was called and came to begin to work with the staff, begin to to exercise leadership in, in programming and ministry. And as it turned out into COVID <laughs> and, uh, and, and really, how do you say it? Begin to establish himself with them and build a relationship with them so that he would increase and I would decrease uh, during these mm. last twenty-four months,
2: mm. and what's what's on your heart? Like we're we're having a chat at a unique time. You know, you are really. Um, and, and the next question is: I want to know what's on your heart for ahead. But as you're sort of like living in this moment, like what are, what are you experiencing? Like what are the emotions? What are the thoughts that you're experiencing? Even as we're recording this today, this week.
0: Um, with, uh, last weekend, the church had a. Uh, had a thank you service where they were uh, just expressing appreciation and and uh, and just giving my wife and I a blessing for the time we have been with the church mm-hmm. and and I was my heart was just overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude to God for uh, the the uh, the 30 years well really 40 year journey of of uh, ministry and be able to say that uh, God has been so faithful and so good so my mm-hmm. heart has been so grateful to God. Uh, along the way there's been the scars and the challenges and issues as any leader would have it's not all been up and to the right there's been difficult times, but along the way I've found God again and again redeems things Mm. renews things and lives and hearts are changed and uh, if ever I've been convinced that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world it's only getting stronger and uh, mm. do I believe in the local church? Absolutely, when it's working right, and mm. I, and so my heart is just as passionate with the local church. And
2: yeah, so as you look ahead, where you know, I, I wonder, I hope you're going on a great vacation or something first that you're going to celebrate this. But then, you know, as you come into this new season, this new chapter, yeah, how how do you hope to invest your time in in your passions?
0: Um, yeah, it, it's one thing leaving. From something, but going towards something, and when you're at my age and stage, you're kind of saying, "God, what have you got in store next?" Uh, I think, from a from a you know personal well being sense, I'm not a grandfather, I got you know six grandkids, looking forward to to connecting some as COVID opens. I've got kids living in the states and the coast uh, to be able to connect with family. So we're gonna take we're gonna take some time for, for some break, but I still mm. desire to be able to make a contribution. And that might be to come alongside some young leaders and who are saying, Hey, you've you've walked you've already walked this once. If you got some some help, you could do some coaching or some come alongside of us. And some of those areas that that, that no doubt will will uh, young leaders face in terms of, you know, staffing or programming or fundraising and some of those kinds of things. So I'm hoping I'll be able to be a asset to emerging leaders, even to be someone that they're able to to feel safe to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. And uh, it's not not the sage, but the uh, really an encourager and uh, somebody who can really spur them on. Um, I'm I likely will will serve in, in a way like an ambassador. I don't know the word emeritus. What does that really mean? <laughs> but maybe more of an ambassador. And so uh, Daniel has said to me, "Hey Keith, would you would you be willing to to keep some reps up in teaching?" So late mm. 21 into 22, uh, the, the plan is that I would continue to have some reps on the weekend teaching. But again. Uh, in a new role with a with a new mantle that i'm I'm his staff, whereas he was my staff and and respecting Beautiful. him as the new leader and uh, And then we've talked about some other you know part time engagements that I could have that would be those kinds of ways to minister, which I would love to do to my generation, some people I've been walking with for for decades now, and uh, people whose lives have had impact on that I'd be able to continue to have have uh, engagement with them. and uh, and, mm. and someone said, "Oh, you mean just kind of shepherding them?" I went, "Actually, there's a bunch of young retirees that that want to do something with their lives." And I'm thinking, "Well, what could we do that would unleash the latent potential spiritually, yeah. experientially, financially? How could we unleash some of the the capacity of uh, of of my generation in these next few years?" And that's something that mm. that resonates with me because I think there's all kinds of capacity there. So rather than saying, hey, go play golf, I'm saying, let's let's go make a
2: difference. Come on. I just want to say, we need you. We need you, Keith. We need your generation. We need your wisdom. We need a picture for what it looks like to finish well. We need your advice. We need the resources of your generation. Um, I think that one of the enemy's plans could be to stop us from working together well. And what a shame. And uh, to hear your heart. I wish there was more. There's many I wish there was even more examples of people finishing well, not saying like I'm barely making it to the finish line, but with something still left in the tank with vision left. And um, so I'm just you know, really wanna honor that you're doing that. And I just want even to the audience listening to say like, if we can figure out the potential of generations working together for the sake of the kingdom with the mission of reaching people far from God and building a church that honors Jesus in our nation, man, it's such a critical time. And we just can't afford to not lean towards one another as we lean towards Christ. Yeah. Big time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I want to be sensitive of your time. I so appreciate your wisdom. Maybe I'll ask one more question. As, uh, as you look at the next generation of pastors, what, uh, what encourages you um, and what, um, advice or caution might you give? And you can do it in any order. If you want to end on a good note, maybe you could start with advice or caution and then maybe maybe end by saying maybe what, what excites you, what kind of potential do you see?
0: Uh, when I come alongside the young leaders that are around me, uh, I love their passion. Uh, I see they have an ability to see the world in a different way than I do because they're native of of a mm. technological culture. They're They're native to the diversity of conversations in Canadian culture. And I go, I think you need to celebrate that in the emerging generation, that you see the world differently than than my generation does. I'm, I'm still running to catch up. Um, I So I I have great great hope for the next generation that there's going to be some great leaders. I think I would say to young pastors in Canada is think of yourself as a missionary. One of the things mm-hmm. about the founder of Beulah was John Woodward came at it not as someone who was going to be well, just the care and custodian of a flock of people. He came to say, uh, how can we unleash the full redemptive potential of this little band of Christ followers? And you know what that did is it, it catalyzed them into deep walk with Jesus and, and experiencing Christ in his fullness. Because they were on mission for Christ. So I go, think like a missionary. Another reason is, is that we are, we are also alien to, to a secular culture. In a sense that mm. we are citizens of heaven and that we're walking the Jesus way. And I think it's going to take discernment to be able to, mm. to sort out how then do we walk in the midst of a secular Canada? And, and how do we bring the gospel to bear in that environment? And and it's a bit of a dance, isn't it? It's gonna be it's gonna be mm. a challenge to figure out what that is gonna look like. But the reality is, is that you know it's 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 not just persuasive arguments, it's the power of Christ. Is that we have the the uh, we have the power of Christ to bring about the kind of changes that we've seen throughout the seriously the centuries when mm-hmm. when a band of people are fully devoted to Jesus and began to move into the cultural context in Christ and and are that missional missional community that are living out Jesus and and so I I'm really optimistic in the next generation think like a missionary uh, uh, be be careful students of of Scripture so you can interpret culture and, uh, and stay mm. close to Jesus and then trust God's power that, that, that he can do more than you could ask or imagine. And that's one of the verses that I hung on to as a young pastor was was uh, maybe two. Solomon asked for wisdom. I said, God, I, I need wisdom. The second thing was, is that promise that God is able to do above and beyond all you could ask or imagine. And I continually prayed, oh God, help me to believe you for more. And, uh, and he has been incredibly faithful so
1: uh,
0: I hope that we have that, that claim of the supernatural capacity of Jesus to change lives. Because then you realize yeah. it's not all up to us.
2: <laughs> that, mm. <laughs>
0: uh, that, that we're just stewards. And, and then we can say, you know what? Because I, I walk around church so often, I would just say, you know, if just people knew how inadequate I was, they'd be so surprised. But for Jesus, mm. you know, um, that, that Christ has done this.
2: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Keith.
1: Well, thank you, Keith, for taking that time to sit down with Jason and have that conversation today. And again, thank you for your many years of faithful ministry and the inspiration that is for so many of us. Well, hey, before you go, I want to let you know that this week we are releasing another CCLN monthly newsletter. If you're a subscriber, you'll get that in your inbox on Tuesday, September 7th. But if you're not a subscriber and still want to check out that content, you can head to CCLN.ca and find everything there. Well, next episode, we have Kara Powell sitting down with Jason to talk about her latest work and research from the Fuller Youth Institute. Many of you will know Kara from her work on kids and youth and family ministry. And maybe you've read some of her books like Growing Young, Growing With, and the latest book that she and Jason are talking about is called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. We're excited to share that conversation with you in two weeks time. Well, that's all friends. I hope you have a great week. And again, thank you for what you do. See you next time.